This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Dr. Bronwyn King, who is the CEO of Tobacco Free Portfolios. Great to talk to you, Bronwyn. Great to see you, Alan. Thanks for having me in. Not at all. Um, so uh, do you still operate as a, or practice as a radiation oncologist? Well, just a tiny little bit. So at the moment, I have a very small private practice, but now my life has been completely overtaken by Tobacco Free Portfolios, and, and that's my, my primary career now. So it's, a, so it's a charity, a global charity, right? That's right. Started here in Melbourne. Um, And so, yes, we're a registered charity, but recently we've also registered as a charity in the USA so that we'll have um, the ability to accept tax-deductible donations in the USA as well. It's uh, a remarkable journey. I mean, obviously, as a radiation oncologist, you thought, this is terrible. I'm, you know, I'm continually taking pictures of people's lungs and what the hell's going on? Well, that's uh, that's sort of the short version of the story. That's it. I was working um, as a doctor at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. In fact, that was my first job after I finished medical school. And I worked for three months on the lung cancer ward there, seeing the devastating impact of tobacco. Nearly all of my patients were smokers or ex-smokers. And... Um, and I was that person ringing people in the middle of the night saying, look, I, you know, I, I need you to come in because your relative has taken a terrible turn for the worse and now's the time, so please hurry in. And, uh, and I was part of those terrible moments watching people say goodbye to their loved ones. And it really struck me as this um, just devastating impact of tobacco that's a bit hidden. Everybody knows tobacco is bad, but really when you see it firsthand, it's it's truly terrible. And then 10 years later, just by accident, I found out that my super fund was investing my money in tobacco companies. And right at that moment, it just made absolutely no sense to me to be going to work every day trying to help people who are suffering from tobacco but at the very same time, my own money was invested in the companies that made the products that were killing them. I was in the supermarket the other day and someone uh, bought two packets of some um, cigarettes for 80 bucks, right? And uh, most of that money is tax. And in fact, I read a piece today um, saying, and I haven't looked at the detail of it, so I don't know if it's true, but I read a piece today that said the government's return to surplus is built on tobacco tax. Yeah, well, look, I haven't... What do you think of that? Yeah, I haven't seen that particular paper, but if we take a look globally, the amount that governments make as a result of tobacco tax is around about $270 billion a year, but the amount that tobacco costs the global community in terms of the healthcare costs for people who suffer is estimated to be at least $1 trillion US dollars a year. So yes, you do make money from the taxes, but it doesn't even come close to the impact that the financial impact that the tobacco industry has on the global community. So the governments would be much better off just banning it? Well, I mean, maybe one day we'll get there, but in the meantime, we have to accept that there are people who are smoking and, in fact, 90% of Australia's smokers regret that they started and more than 50% try to quit every year. We also have to remember that most people who start smoking are children. So the average age that people start smoking in Australia is only 16 years and two months and that's actually the oldest average age in the world.
that's the best. We're the best here and it's 16 years and two months. So really we have to look at it as trying to support our current smokers to quit and we know that price increases do encourage people to quit and they discourage children from starting smoking. So I suppose in that case you're in favour of the taxes. That's right. Well, taxes increase it expensive. That's right. Tobacco taxes are the number one way to discourage children from starting smoking and encouraging current smokers to quit. So that's it's really very uh, clear evidence from many countries that has shown that. And how far along the path are you towards getting people, getting investment institutions to stop investing in it? Well, in Australia, um, we've made great progress and there's been huge support from the finance sector over the past 10 years. So in Australia, there's now 45 of our big super funds that are tobacco-free, and that includes industry, corporate and retail funds. And they control a combined total of around about $1.5 trillion of Australians' money. So that's really a huge amount of progress in a very short period of time. And it's been a great case study for us to share all around the world. So globally, in 2018, we launched our flagship initiative called the Pledge, the Tobacco-Free Finance Pledge. And we were very lucky to launch that at the UN in New York on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly. And we could only do that because President Macron and Prime Minister Turnbull agreed to, to co-sponsor our event. So we were thrilled to launch that then. There's now 129 signatories to that pledge. And they are big, major financial organisations from more than 22 countries. And they control a combined total of $8.25 trillion US dollars. So... There's many estimates for how much money's sort of swilling around the global economy, but we're approaching 10% of the world's finance sector that has pledged to take a look at this issue and consider moving to tobacco-free. But um, is there any sign that you're actually starving the tobacco companies of capital? Well, look, I think... um It's really hard for us to say that our work exclusively is having an impact on the tobacco industry because, in fact, there are many factors that are happening concurrently. So the most important one is that 181 countries have signed up to the UN Tobacco Control Treaty. And that treaty is a government's commitment to implementing a whole lot of tough regulation that will reduce smoking rates. So we've got 181 countries operating at the same time, implementing regulation. We've also got pressures regarding litigation. We've got significant supply chain pressures because the tobacco industry significantly relies on child labour in the supply chain and that is under a lot of scrutiny and change. Um, And there's also a lot of environmental pressures going on. So many people don't know that the number one ocean plastic is in fact cigarette filters. And so that won't be able to um, remain um, unaddressed. That's something I didn't know. The number one ocean plastic Cigarette filters. That's correct. The number one ocean plastic, cigarette filters, and um, they they dissipate, they don't biodegrade, so they just turn into microplastic and into the food chain. And so in addition, we've had the tobacco-free finance movement on top of all of that. If you look at the share prices up until 2017, purely financially, tobacco companies had outperformed the market, but since then there's been a very big shake-up of the financial performance of tobacco companies. So in 2018... Do you think been responsible for that? Well, we like to think that we have contributed to it. How much is obviously up for debate. But um, in 2018, the tobacco sector was the worst performing sector on the market and lost an average of 41% of share price. So it, it has... Well put, done. Well, <laughs> well it's... Um, it, you've, got a, you've got a new thing called stamp of approval program. Does that replace the pledge? 
No, no. So the stamp of approval program, it's a a new program we're launching really in response to um, the desire of the finance sector to more clearly communicate to their members or new potential members that they have moved to tobacco free. So we have um, worked with the finance sector in Australia to craft some criteria that um, super funds and financial institutions need to meet to be eligible for the program. If they'd like to sign up, they sign up, they'll be assessed by EY um, according to the criteria. And if they meet the criteria, they can adopt these stamps of approval and they can put them on their websites, on their materials and be part of um, an extensive media campaign that we'll be running later in the year, as well as the official launch, which is very kindly being hosted by the Melbourne Lord Mayor, Sally Cap. Right. So I, I gather the, they have to pay for it too which that, is a source of revenue for you. That's right, a very important source of revenue for us. So um, that's right, the the badge um, will be sold um, at a, a yearly fee according to the type and the size of the organisation. Of how much? And so it depends on it, it depends on which organisation and the assets under management, but it's between five dollars and $18,000. Um, and that annual fee includes the assessment cost and um, all the money raised will go towards covering the costs of our operating yeah, our operating costs as a charity. Right, but you, uh, have you done this because you, you, people uh, you, you're starting to run out of donations, or is the, have the donations been flowing as fully as they have in the past? Well, I think it's more that the don- no, the donations are flowing from individuals and foundations and health groups. We certainly would be very open and well, you know, would welcome more donations, but we're growing. So um, I was really on my own until about five years ago, and then I started building um, a support team here in Australia. Then in 2016, I appointed a UK director who leads our work in the UK and Europe. And just two months ago, I was very pleased to welcome our new USA director who will be leading our work in New York. Right. So we're getting bigger, and um, and with that, yeah, we definitely need more funding to help us expand. So I want to know when you're going to move on to gambling and climate change. Wow, look at fossil fuels, (laughs) stuff like that. What do you think? Yeah, well, the conversation initially in Australia, you know, I really just focused purely on tobacco, but I I learnt pretty quickly I had to be far more sophisticated than that. And so, what we really do when we sit down with finance leaders is encourage them to acknowledge that there are a whole lot of tricky issues out there, like the ones you mentioned, but many more. You know, what about human rights, modern slavery, controversial weapons, guns, pornography, gambling? You know, there's there's this very big list of undesirable or unethical industries. And what we encourage um, the finance sector to do is to take each issue and match it with the appropriate tool or lever for change. And those tools over the years um, have, uh, most people would agree, include engagement. Do you sit down and have a chat with a company and engage with them and try to nudge them towards better behaviour? Do you use a best of sector approach? where you will only invest in the best companies in a a certain sector. Um, There's also environmental, social and governance integration and there's impact investing or thematic investing. Now, if you go through all of those and none of them work and none of them are relevant, that's when it's very reasonable to consider applying an exclusion policy. I don't understand. So, for example, if you take tobacco, so engaging with the tobacco industry is futile. The only outcome we want is that the business stops. And it's certainly not just me that suggests that. The United Nations has a non-engagement policy with the tobacco industry and recommends a non-engagement policy with the tobacco industry. That obviously bears quite some discussion. By which you mean that the only 
uh, acceptable outcome is that there is no tobacco industry. That's right. It's binary. You either invest right. in the industry. But doesn't that apply to others? Well, for example, you could look at the energy transition and say it's reasonable to sit down with some energy producers. The world needs energy producers. You could sit down with them and encourage them to transition faster to cleaner technologies. But with engagement, it, it there is no... Um, there is, it's a futile exercise when it comes to tobacco. So if you move through all of those and say, well, none of those are relevant or make sense, that's when you can justify an exclusion policy. And so we, we spend time working with finance leaders, working with investment teams, working with boards to help them craft a sustainable investment framework, not just one that we'll use that will be relevant for tobacco, but one that you can run any of those tricky issues through so that you can really defend whatever approach you take for each issue. Fascinating. Thank Thank you, you. Bronwyn. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much, Ellen. I'll be talking to Dr. Bronwyn King, who is the CEO of Tobacco-Free Portfolios.